What's up, Gravel family? I'm Sophia. And I'm Jason. And this is the Gravel Family Podcast. The Gravel Family Podcast is an encouraging space to motivate more people to get on their bikes and enjoy gravel. We're going to share a variety of stories from hometown pirates to the top tier pros. We're also going to share training tips and insights on gravel worlds and other events, as well as answer your questions that arise through your training season. We are so excited you're here. Welcome to the Gravel Family. All right, what's up, Gravel Family? I'm Jason. And I'm Sophia. And we have another episode of the Gravel Family podcast coming up here. So super excited. We're finally done with the the live recordings from down at Mid-South. And so we're back back in the studio, aka my office. Very exciting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have, we have another really uh, special person to us. Uh, she's come to Gravel Worlds the last couple years. Uh, we've become friends with her. And she's just an all-around rad person. So we love having these types of people on the podcast so it's really cool to meet her because we spent some time down at mid-south yes um after the race and we the after after party yeah we got some drinks and it was really cool to get to know her a little bit and i was i was wanting to go to bed at like 11 and then i think we left at like two and i was like let's go no it was like midnight but (laughs) it was was way past midnight (laughs) because i was like we literally have to be back here in like five hours for an interview oh god Uh, anyway, okay, so this <laughs> this guest, uh, she won Big Sugar last year. Uh, she got second place at Gravel Worlds 2022, as well as p- top five in 2021. She's a pro cyclist for Trek on gravel, and she is a retired physician's assistant. Welcome to the podcast, Paige Onweiler. Woo! Woo! Hello, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> it's so good to have you. So, how is the weather out there in California right now? You just made the switch. You moved from Michigan, which seems to always be snowing this time of year, out to California. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's, it's really funny because you know I've been in Michigan 33 years now, so this is like my first time living outside of Michigan, and um, yeah, it's great. Like this is like their worst winter that they've had like in a hundred years with all of the rain and (laughs) mudslides. So everyone's convinced that I brought uh, the weather here. Um, But I'm like, this is great. It's 45 and rainy. Like go ride your bike. And they're like, this is so bad. So it's been fun. I'm enjoying it. I've only been on a trainer three times this winter, which is like a huge change from every day previously. Um, So it's been good. I, I can't complain. Like the wind and rain is a little annoying over time, but when you're coming from Michigan, it's really not that bad. <laughs> yeah. That was like when we were talking with uh, John Borstelman, fellow volet rider of, of yours. Uh, he was just like, yeah, I just, I'm never on the trainer anymore. And anytime I'm on the trainer, I'm just like, why did I ever live in a place where <laughs> the air hurts my face? <laughs> the air. Yeah, so. It's been, it's been a good time. <laughs> Well, let's just jump into it on why you made the switch to move from Michigan out to California. You were a full-time PA, um, and now you made the switch over to full-time professional cyclist. Uh, I guess, what inspired that change um, of life that you've had recently? Yeah, so I've been a PA, um, acute care PA, all in urgent care and emergency medicine for the last eight years. And... um, I'm pretty like motivated, career driven person. And so I've always been like very work focused. Um, but I started riding and kind of saw a lot of potential pretty, qu- pretty quickly. Um, but realizing like this sport in order to do it well, um, you have to dedicate a lot of time, like the training time, 
is extensive. Um, it's a lot of time on the bike, but then a ton of time off the bike, especially for mm -hmm. gravel and these longer races and prep and nutrition and course planning, pinch points, all of that. And so um, I was kind of like balancing both, like working, taking all my vacation days to go race and then coming back. Like I never had any weekends off because I worked a lot of weekends in the ER. And so last year um, I kind of, you know, I would see success here and there, but I was still so new that like I was not able to dedicate a lot of time to like skill work and some of those little things that will go help you develop faster. And um, so I kind of got the itch and kind of questioned myself, like, what if I just did this full time for a year or two, see what happens and, and you know, how fast I can develop. And then I can always go back to the PA work because the way I look at it is like, my mind and my ability to be a PA will always be there, but the ability to compete at a professional level, um, you know, there's a cap to that, right? So, you know, for females, I kind of think I have another 10 to 15 years of solid racing under my belt, um, but I don't have that time cap necessarily to practice medicine. So I don't know, for me, it was like, why not um, give it a try? Like what's yeah. the worst that happens? And I go back to the job in a year. Um, but yeah, like it was like, it's pretty, pretty interesting because there's a lot of people that are in the opposite um, scenario that have been bike racers only their whole life. And, you know, then they get to like their mid twenties and they like don't have a career off the bike and they're like, who am I, you know, off the bike? And I'm like the opposite. I'm like, who am I on the bike? <laughs> so it's been yeah. fun. Um, and so last fall I was kind of starting to think, you know, I think I could do this. I think I could, you know, worst case scenario, um, kind of fund my own, you know, salary for a year and see if I can get some more support through better race results. Um, but then thankfully I had a really good end of season as I started to get a little bit better shape um, last year and ended up winning Big Sugar and that opened up a lot of doors for um, some more support. And then that just validated, like I had already made the decision in my mind that I was gonna quit my job, but it was a matter of like how frugal I had to live my life um, and how like stressful <laughs> that would be uh, financially. Um, so it's really nice to like have the support, um, and not have that additional stress right now. Um, and then for me, like being so new, like if I'm on the indoor trainer, like your skills just aren't developing. Like you were on the trainer from mm -hmm. like November to April, you can't ride trails. Like there's no mountains in Michigan. Like I can't even do like VO2 efforts of a climb. Like I have to do them into a headwind, maybe a full splat if I'm lucky, um, just to, you know, have enough gearing. And so a lot of times it was just more of like the terrain really limited by um, skill level developing. And I'm kind of at a point where it's like, I don't have five years to work on those skills over time. And most of my races are like in mountainous areas. Um, and so for me, I said, well, the quickest way for me to learn is to get off the trainer and to go ride, you know, places where I'm gonna be challenged. Um, and so um, out in California, I uh, have Valet is based there and they're one of my sponsors this year and just nice to have like a community of people um, and then John my old teammate and you know there's just like ton of riders out here I think there's three or four of us lifetime Grand Prix athletes right and slow um, so it's been fun to like have a group of us together um, and they all know the area really well so they can give me recommendations um, so yeah it's been it's been nice I've seen a lot of development in my skills like it's not something that's built overnight but it's pretty cool to see the progress and i'm excited to like put that to work this year 
That's really cool how you mentioned, you know, you put in the effort and then you got more support as the season went on. What was that journey like to build relationships with these brands and sponsors? Were you reaching out? Were they reaching out? How did that all come together? Yeah, so that's a good question. And and honestly, like, I really wish people knew or talked more openly about this because the process is extremely stressful. Um, so like, if you talk with any of the pro riders that are, you know, like their salary and, and life is kind of dependent on these contracts, like, you know, late summer to early fall, like, we're stressed out because <laughs> we're trying to figure out and negotiate. And um, so, so for me, like, <clears throat> a lot of companies um, I had been in conversation with were maybe companies I had worked with previously that I knew. Um, and then uh, I had a lot of people reach out to me after Big Sugar, like companies that I hadn't previously thought about or um, talked with. Um, so it was a lot of them reaching out to me um, or kind of mutual connections asking like, hey, what are you doing? And I did have several contracts on the table before Big Sugar, but I was really smart and I had known that I wanted to wait until after my season was done before I signed anything. Um, and so that was hard and it was like, it made things more stressful for me, but I'm very glad that I did that because I was able to have a little bit more opportunity um, because of it. Um, but that, you know, sometimes those opportunities go away if you wait too long. Um, and I think like the contracts can be very stressful, but thankfully like the brands that I'm working with, my experiences have been stellar. Like all the companies that I'm, I'm signed with now um, have been amazing to work with. Like I, I can't speak highly enough of them and I know that's not the experience for everyone else. Um, so it's been, it's been good. And I even have brands that like I didn't end up signing with um, that still helped me through that process, which says a lot about the bike industry in general. Um, like the Ventum guys that I rode with last year, uh, like Travis McCabe, like he still was offering help to me even after, um, you know, I wasn't signing. So it's just really cool to see, like, if you form a relationship with a brand, like, and they value you as a person, like, it's a small industry. And um, it's important to, like, view that as a relationship, whether you're signing with them or not. So that was interesting for me to navigate. And Thankfully, I had a lot of really good mentors, um, like my coach and Alexi Vermeulen were two people that were really, really helpful that have been through this stuff before. So I can't imagine navigating all of that alone. Um, it would have been <laughs> extremely stressful for me. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that answered the question or not, but it's yeah, it's crazy how many like parallels there are as a race promoter, too, because like, yeah, I mean, yeah. sponsorships are massive. And you you said like the fall is like super stressful and it's like, yeah. And I have other race promoters and I'm sure it's like you have conversations with other athletes of like, you know, sponsorships and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm having conversations now for mm -hmm. 2024 or 20, even 2025, you know, yeah. like building those relationships. And I, I like always encourage athletes. It's like, you just never know like what a conversation, like go, mm -hmm. go to those like after parties, like say hi to people right? and, and just build, build genuine relationships. Not like, Hey, what can they give me? Yeah. But like, like the, like you said, the industry is so small and yeah. you know, if they hear like, Oh, Paige is an awesome athlete or, you know, gravel worlds is a, a great event. You need to support it. You never know who that conversation is going to be. So, right. um, I'm glad you mentioned that and you're kind of right. Like it's kind of this like taboo conversation, but it's something that mm -hmm. we're all connected 
in the way yeah. and like like everyone's dealing with it in that industry yeah and, right. and sponsorship is a, is a good thing like sponsorship really yeah. helps race promoters keep event costs down they help athletes like go do these awesome things and share uh, stories and other events and everything so for sure like it, i wish more people would talk about it right and i think for me like one of my biggest takeaways and like if I were to give advice to anyone like going through this process in the future, it would be like you need to have clear goals for yourself because like I turned down several offers just because like what I was trying to represent was not in line with what they were trying to represent. Like I came into the contracts very clear that like I do not want to be an influencer. Like I'm here to race bikes fast. So if there's social media requirements, you know, like those need to be trimmed down or like removed from the contract. And Sometimes it was like, okay, well, then we're not a good fit because we don't have the same goals. But I think for me, it was a learning lesson is like, know your values and what you want to represent and how you want to represent them. And then don't budge on those because there's a lot of people in the bike industry that kind of say, oh, well, I really want this and this is how I'm going to make it. Um, But I would rather like, even if it means losing money, like having Mm -hmm. things represent like me as an individual, because that's the thing as a privateer is like, you pick your jersey, like you represent the brands you want to represent. And like, I think like, you know, you need to be genuine about that because at least for me, like that brings more value to what I'm doing. You're not on a team. You don't have like this unified like team purpose. Like you are your own team in a sense, like with your sponsors and those are your, that's your family. Like your sponsors are your family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it was really important for me to like, here's my goals either you like them or you don't. (laughs) And like, it sounds kind of like forward and blunt. um, But I actually think like a lot of the sponsors liked that. Um, Maybe they weren't necessarily used to it. Um, But as an athlete, I would say like that will bring you more value long-term and then hence you'll bring value to the sponsors, like irregardless of your race results. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like gravel is very unpredictable. You might have the legs, you might be the strongest athlete out there. Like Mid-South was a great example of this. Um, something happens, you flat or have a crash, um, you know, like you need to have other values and representation outside of like, you know, just the podiums. What piece of advice would you give for people out there who are looking to go pro? What would you tell them to look for in brands so that they end up with someone that they really want representing them? And likewise. Yeah, I think, um, there's, there's a good book that I'll reference called Blink. Um, it's a, I think a Stephen Malka book and it talks about like that, that first impression. Um, and so I would say like that first impression in your gut with like that company is really important. Um, but then that also take that a step further to view, like, is this someone like that you would view as like a friend and family support? Um, and it's hard because you want to view it as like a business contract because that's what it is. But at the same time, like how that business contract is portrayed and communicated um, is important. Um, so I would say like that would be very important. And then with that is understanding like your value as a person as and as an athlete. Like if I send a sponsor an email and it's a question about the contract that's proposing and they take a week to get back to me, then like then I start to wonder like, you know, where's the value and communication like am I a priority for them? And, and I know like time sensitive things are hard, but um, like you shouldn't have to follow up three times with a company in order to, you know, get those answers. Um, but again, not everyone, like it, it's hard, like it's hard to give that advice where there's a time cap on it per se, but 
I guess long story short is like, you need to understand what your value is and what you're willing to like sell yourself for, which sounds so bad to say. Like, <laughs> like I hate like, don't sell your soul. And I just, I just see that happen so many times. And it's really evident on social media with like how stuff is pushed through. Um, and that's what I don't want athletes to devalue themselves. Um, that makes me sad, I think. Um, and I don't know if I have like an answer for that other than like listen to your gut and like build relationships. And if something doesn't feel right, even if like the dollar value or what they're offering like sounds good, like you just need to remember like there's a lot of mental energy that goes into that and how you represent them. So at the end of the day, like, are you going to sleep well at night? And are you happy with this? That that goes a long ways. Yeah. And especially right now, like as a consumer, not only just in the cycling industry, but obviously Instagram influencing has blown up here in the last few years. And you can definitely like I'll be scrolling through stories on Instagram and I can tell what brands are telling influencers like, hey, you mm. need to post this many actual posts you need to post this many stories all right put it inside of a whatever campaign on your stories like it's very transparent what companies are just pushing their product as hard as they can and which right. ones are actually really proud of their product and like just casually talk about this and it'll probably sell yeah yeah 100% like i, I had a contract where it was like x number of this and that and i was like i i'm not going to sign this and um, you know, I said, I find value in social media. Like you can look at mine and I, I would consider myself active on social media, but like I will post because I want to post and it's genuine. Um, but I, yeah, like I really struggled with that. Um, so yeah, as an athlete, like you have to be okay saying like, actually, can we go about this in a different way? Um, and there are certain things like there, it's nice to push a product like everyone collectively. So sometimes like you need to do it in a time sensitive, like, Hey, we're all going to make this post, you know, this week about this product. And, and I get that. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, there's definitely a balance. <laughs> yeah. So kind of to get off of the sponsorship side of things, what, what advice would you have, or maybe what was your experience leading up to being a pro athlete, like getting to that level? Cause you were, grinding yeah. to get to where yeah. you could make that decision on top of having a full-time PA job. Exactly. And yeah. like most, that's how most people all like, unless you got in started as a kid and mm -hmm. got in these programs, but like most people are going to just be grinding and eventually make that jump. So what was that grind for you? Like, uh, cause I can't imagine like probably doing 12 plus hour shifts in the ER and then going and grinding on a trainer, going out and trying to do rides. What was that, that grind like on the training side? Yeah. The training side was hard. Like you, you just have to do what you can. Um, and for me, like that was like a challenge. Cause I always want to do more. <laughs> like I just love exercise. Um, and so, yeah, I always felt like I wasn't doing enough compared to like other people. So I would say like not comparing is like a huge thing, but then like, for me personally, it was understanding that stress off the bike plays more of a role than a stress on the bike. Like I could have like an insanely hard, huge volume week, and that would not feel as hard on my body as like a hard work, hard week in the ER. Um, and so like understanding that and like respecting your body enough to say like, you know what, I'm not doing three hours a day because I'm really stressed out and I just need to do one. Um, but the grind itself, like 
honestly, like I just love riding bikes so much that like it was an <laughs> escape for me in so many ways. Like when life is crazy, I mean, we all have experienced that. Like probably anyone listening to the podcast, like you ride bikes because you love it. And um, so even though like if you looked at my schedule on paper, you're like, how did she do this? But it's like the time on the bike was like joyous. And I would go to a race. And as I started to get more involved with the community, like I couldn't wait to go to these races because like, oh, it's my friends, it's, you know, the gravel family. And it was it was fun uh, versus like a stressful trip. I'd come home from the races and I'd be like, oh, man, you know, like I got to go back into work. And and it was it was like I was living two lives because I'd go to the I'd go to the ER. And this was like even after I won Big Sugar, I went to work. No one knows anything about that. Right. So I just start working, <laughs> seeing patients. It's like. They, they they don't care <laughs> so it's just funny that it's like and all I you want to like do is living. like talk about it i know i was like i won this cool bike race guys i'm learning how to ride a bike <laughs> so it was just uh it was just funny and yeah i think uh the other side of that though is like even though it was really stressful like i'm kind of in this revo- reverse role now like i had this at, at mid-south where you know if i had a really bad race like then i went into work and that have like value off the bike where I'm like contributing to society, you know, <laughs> or at least what I tell, what I tell myself. Um, and so after, you know, more recently at Mid-South, I, I flatted and, um, you know, had a complicated flat that that kind of took me out of contention. And I remember sitting there on the side of the road and be like, I flatted and I quit my job to sit on the side of the road, flatted out for 15 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And so then for 90 miles, I had to question like, why do I ride? Why do I race? And like, as a pro athlete that only has their bike now, um, you really have to be careful with that because when you're working and doing that double life grind, like if you have a bad day on the bike, you go into work. And usually I would hope for most people, work brings some sort of value uh, in that way. So yeah, there's like a balance on both sides of it, but, um, yeah, long story short, it's, uh, it's hard either way. <laughs> you got to hey, love but riding. You, because you flatted, you got to see me on the mid south course. Cause I, I was, was riding pretty, the 50. I was pretty excited. <laughs> yeah. I got excited when I saw your kit too. I was like, yes, this is Jason. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> something that inspired me um after we talked um after the race is you said you'd found so much joy and just cheering people on through the rest of your race like everyone yeah. you'd pass you'd be like great job keep it up um and obviously you know you didn't have the result you wanted at mid-south but you did get something great out of it uh what was your mid-south journey from your eyes and in your words yeah. So, I mean, Mid-South this year was like a higher priority race for me because I was really motivated to show that Big Sugar was not a one-off. Like I, I came to Mid-South to win. Like I was highly motivated and, and had the legs on that day for that. Um, but I flatted like 10 miles in and like it was uh, two flats, like a sidewall and like one right at the rim. And I actually uh, broke my rim too. Um, and so uh, I was having issues like fixing that. And uh, anyways, long story short, it was about uh, 15 minutes of stop time. And I had 90 minutes of solo time trialing. Um, I did have one dude that like hung with me for like 35 miles and that lifted my spirits. Um, but for the most part, like I had this like huge transition of like the only goal for this day is to win and like to to fight for that top stop, that top spot. And I had like a dialed plan for that. 
And then it's like, that just goes out the window so quickly. And then um, I kind of remember like when I flatted, I was like, well, my day is over. And what the guy that I was riding with, he said, well, not with that attitude. And I was like, well, like, I'm not going to win. Like I just spent 10 minutes on the side of the road. And um, he's like, well, I always start at the back and just see how many people I can pass. And this dude was just so joyous. And I remember like wanting to punch him in the face, like in a way, like it sounds so bad. <laughs> Cause I'm like, why are you so happy right now? I was like, this is horrible. Um, and now I sound like a bad person, but I'm being honest. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was like his process and attitude, just like, it totally made me realize I was like, is winning the only reason I'm here? I was like, this is not okay. Like, and then I was like, well, why did I quit my job for this? Like, what am I doing? What is life? Like all these major questions. And I just remember thinking like, there's nothing more that I love than just hammering on my bike. And so I said, okay, you got 90 minutes or 90 miles to like, see where your fitness is at and you better pedal hard. And so I just remember thinking like, I know how strong I am and this 90 miles is going to show me that regardless of where I finish. And so I just started pedaling and originally it was like, okay, this is me against this 90 miles. That's all I care about. And then as I was riding, like I never experienced the whole like start in the back and then passing people. Like when I'm racing, like I'm there to race. Like I'm not there for, you know, the, the camaraderie part during the actual race. And, um, and that's okay. Like if you're, if you're trying to race, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, so I want to like set that aside, but as I was passing people, like I felt just this sense of camaraderie in the race itself that I haven't necessarily experienced like at the front, which is as expected. Right. And it was just so cool. Cause like people were cheering for me and then I would cheer for them and vice versa. And it was like, you know, saw someone with like this really cool kit. I'm like, I like your kit. And they're like, I like your kit. And someone would cheer like, I like your bike. And I'm like, yeah, I got a sweet bike, don't I? And so it was just like this, like, I know it was really bizarre for me to just be removed from like the competitive portion, because like, that's where a lot of times my mind just naturally goes. Um, and probably a lot of us like at that elite level, like, we can say we're there for having fun, but like having fun means you're doing well. And I think most of us would admit that for being honest. And so for me, like, it was just such a cool experience because instead of viewing it as like, oh man, I got to pass, you know, all these people and a lot of times have a bad line, like it was pretty chunky out there. And so I'd be like in the chunk outside of like the nice smooth line, but I never like, I didn't find myself frustrated with it. I just found myself thinking like, how cool is it that all these people are out here racing Mid-South and I get to like say hi to them. Um, so that really lifted my spirits and just reminded me like a win is a win. You know, the results on paper are one thing, but then like what you experience on race day is totally different and nothing on paper can explain that. And that is special. And so that was really cool for me. And I'm glad that I experienced it like early in the season, because I think if I would have went to Mid-South and had a good result, it would have been really easy for me to get on this like performance mindset for the season which is just natural for me like that's just where my mind goes um but as an athlete like that doesn't have a career off the bike it's really important to know like there is so much more to you as an athlete than just a race result and mid-south was just a beautiful painful <laughs> reminder of that um so it was really <laughs> good it was good for me i remember thinking like i'm glad this happened with the first one um so yeah that it, was my mid-south it was awesome 
it was you i think you worked out all all of that before you met me because it was like maybe mile 30 something 35 when we saw you so you had 25 miles to to do those mental gymnastics to work Mm -hmm. out but yeah you had like a huge smile on your face and i think i said i was like what are you doing back here you're like oh i flatted but i'm gonna do it you said something like but i'm gonna crush the rest of it or something like you said something like that and i was like that's awesome and then uh right behind you was uh, or like ten minutes behind you was Chase Wark. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, there was Pete there was a lot. There, me, Chase. Uh, it was the same spot. It was that downhill, uh, real fast downhill. And when I pre-wrote it, I knew I was like, I'm gonna, someone's gonna fly here. If I'm gonna fly during the race, it's gonna be here. Um, yeah, I took out a lot of people. <laughs> so yeah, it was just really awesome to see you out there. Had a huge smile on your face, just crushing it. And you were pulling like 15 guys behind you, so that was pretty rad <laughs> too. <laughs> fun like that part was cool because you know people would, people would hop on during the day and then like you know they would say like are you okay like I can't take a pull and I'm like dude hang on as long as you can like you're bringing me like lifted my spirit just being here and so it was like a couple guys would hop on for like a minute or two and then like they'd fall off or <laughs> you know sometimes it'd be like a 10 minute or and I was like oh do you want to take a pull like give me like a 30 second rest would be awesome and that was like really nice um but it was just fun like hang on as you can and I'm just gonna keep motoring my way through this 90 miles <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome uh, and kind of like this is a good, good transition is like off the bike you have been a huge supporter of the 99% at gravel events, like people who are never going to win. Like you're pretty fierce defender on their experiences at gravel events, because that was you at one point where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you started going to events and you just loved biking and then you, the successes followed. So like what has driven you to, to support the 99% experience, even though like so much focus is put on the front of the pack, like you, but you're like, wait, like if it changes everything else, like we need to take a step back and make sure we're doing it the right way. Yeah, I think like there's a few things. Um, the first is like I was there and like I know how it is to like come to a bike race and to not know anyone or maybe have a bad experience with bike racing in general and to kind of have the stigma of like this isn't for me or it's not approachable or it's too technically intimidating. Um And so like, I get sad thinking about all the people that maybe have hopped on a bike, but then don't stick with it because they don't have a good experience. Um, And that could have very easily been me if I didn't like try gravel, to be honest, because I entered the scene like in kind of a uh, poor environment, I would say. Um, And so like, I just want other people to have that opportunity to have a good experience and to get good mentors and and stay with it. I also recognize like part of the reason gravel is so special is because like everyone is there. Like I love going to expos and like certain people come up to me like, Hey, I've read your story. I I read your blogs and you know, like, and they'll talk about like, Oh, well I'll see you out there, but I'll finish like four hours later. And then I'm like, yeah, we're all doing the same thing. Like, I might cover the distance much faster, but like at the end of the day, like come find me. Cause like, we'll talk about the same win that we both had to experience. In fact, like you're tougher than me because you were out there for five hours more, <laughs> you know? So it's, yeah. it's really cool to like have those connections. Um, and I really want to avoid this like elitist mindset that I think some of the pro athletes, um, or, you know, elite level cyclists kind of have, because at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I, 
I, I personally think like, that's just not as fun. Um, and like gravel and this sport, like we are getting the support that we are getting because of the 99%. Right. Um, yep. so I think that's important to recognize is like, you know, your sponsorship support hinges on that too. And like, they're part of the reason we're out here doing this and, and inspiring them to, to ride gravel. So I don't know, there's a, several reasons, but those are kind of the main ones I can think of right now. Yeah, there was, there was one time I got in a little bit of a heated discussion, I guess, with a quote elite person and was, he kind of said something like, so you would take, or who would you take like the 99% or the pros at at gravel worlds? And I was like the 99%, like (laughs) not even a question. And and he's like, what? Like, I was like, who do you think pays for our race? Like the people spending their hard-earned vacation and their hard-earned money. And I was like, and like those names on your Jersey are from people buying those products. Like, I I don't know how you think the economics of this works, but like the experience of the 99% is everything to, to and gravel and, and most gravel promoters, which has been really special because it's turned that, atmosphere upside down where it's a lot of other genres of cycling and sport have been who's the best and that's the only people we're focusing on where like mid-south the best part of mid-south was dfl the last place person yeah like that was the Mm -hmm. that was like one of the raddest part it's like i love put like spraying champagne on on the front riders, but like waiting up, waiting up for somebody who's just never gave up, no matter how many times their mind told them a thousand times a second, like give up, you're done. And they just kept going. So yeah, yeah, I've, I, I have always appreciated that about you that you've, you're like, understand that and respect the experience of, of everybody else. Yeah. And I think like for me, like I just, I don't know if there's a problem. I usually like can't keep my mouth shut, um, which is like good, good and bad. But um, <laughs> so I think like, you know, you have the 99%, but like more and more as gravel is growing, like the elite level is also growing. Right. And so yep. you have this and we've talked about this because of, you know, things that have happened last year. And the reality is like, unfortunately for race organizers, like you also have to like make all these changes for the elite level too. And I mean, that's a whole nother podcast about USAC involvement and the, you know, the rules and UCI and, and all this stuff. But the reality is like coming into Mid-South, like we get stopped less than a mile from the finish. Like there's no traffic control, you know? And so it's this like balance of like creating an environment where the 99% feel appreciated and valued. And the focus is on that. But then if you are going to have, you know, this elite and pro level experience there's almost like a secondary like event push that needs to happen for that for safety and i hate the fact that 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 relies on the promoters because we can say like hey like you know everyone needs to stop here but there's athletes that like their salary hinges on podium results and they're gonna do whatever it takes and there's a lot of people that are winner at all cost and so that's a part for me it makes me sad um, because there's changes that still need to happen with gravel and I, I can see those already starting. Um, but it is going to change things for the front group in a safer manner. Um, so anyways, yeah, there's, there's both sides of it and there's changes that are needed, you know, across the board. Um, but I've always loved that, like with you guys, like the thousand women of gravel, like 
That was so awesome. Like, I love seeing a push for more females. Um, and I really hope that like what you guys did inspires other races to do more of that. And I'm, I'm seeing more of that too, which is great because the gender disparity for me is one of the biggest like frustrations <laughs> for sure. And we talked a little bit off camera about this of how you want change in the sport. You want this to be more accessible to women who may think that they can't do it. And you want to show them that you believe in them by, you know, creating opportunities for actual competitive group rides, that kind of thing. Can you talk us through a little bit about what's going on in your head of what ideas you have for the future? Yeah. So, um, like back home in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, where I was at, um, started doing like this monthly women's gravel ride. And like, originally it started off as like a no drop gravel ride, but then like the women were starting to ask questions and say like, Hey, like we want to learn how to ride in a pace line or they didn't know how to corner, you know, as fast. And so in talking with them and through my own experiences, I quickly realized like there's this huge gap in cycling for women where, we have one side where it's very friendly and it's no drop and, and you're going to go ride there and it's great. It's like, we need that. But then there's like very little opportunities for women to be in a woman only uh, scenario where it's competitive. Most of the time, like if women want to get strong or learn race tactics, they need to go ride with the guys. And like a part of that kind of bothers me. Like there's a lot of strong women out there. Like let's band together Mm -hmm. and like, learn together and make this happen. And so what we started doing was on this, you know, quote, no drop ride, we'd basically say like, we're going to take sections of this ride and then we'll do pace line and cornering and then we'll regroup. And, um, it was like, my heart was like so full of joy because we were doing this pace line and like several of these women, like they literally did not know what a pace line was and they're doing these pace lines and like, you know, I'm yelling from the side, like, okay, close the gap, close the gap. Or like teaching them, like there's a gap opening, like go around that rider or showing them how the gaps open up when they're cornering and teaching them like, this is a weakness for you. And so after that, we'd stop even in the middle of the ride and say, who has questions? And like, they'd all have questions. And it was just like, so cool that they were like motivated to learn. And it was through that process, I realized there's not a lot of those opportunities where women can learn how to race and be competitive. Um, And so I want to try to help create that. And so for me, like, um, if any of you guys have seen my jersey, you see that, like, Rosie the Riveter is on my jersey. It's on my helmet. It's a huge part of my, like, kit. Um, and the reason for that is, like, I can see myself developing what I call the Rosie Up Project. And it's basically, like, female empowerment. Like, we want more females on bikes, and we need those no-drop experiences. But we also need those, like, competitive experiences. And we need ambassadors in the sport that are, like, willing to create those. Um and so, yeah, there's some things in a work and it's more of like a one to two year project, you know, down the road. Um, but at the end of the day, like there's the gap there. And like, I hope that I can be a part to change that. And I know there's a lot of other amazing elite level pro gravel racers that are also feeling the same way. So that's exciting to hopefully band together and work with some women on that and and try to get more girls crushing souls. <laughs> More ladies. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. More girls crushing souls. That, that needs to be a t-shirt. If I, I'd freaking wear that one. That's we can, awesome. we can make we'll it talk. happen. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you give it to me, I'll wear it at Unbound. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so selfishly, let's talk about gravel worlds. Cause it is also 
a special place to you. Um, 2021 was your first gravel race and your first mass start race at gravel world. So like what, what's your gravel world story, um, and experience that you've been here? Yeah. So 2021 was the first year that I like ever tried racing bikes, riding bikes. I started riding in 2020 and then 2021, um, I was like Zwift racing and I was like, I wonder if I can produce these same results, you know, in real life, you know, and, um, had not really done any group rides. I think like that spring summer was the very first time I ever did like a group ride. Like, and we're talking like a 15 person group ride. And so, um, after some like rough, road experience like um in a time trial that year um i realized i was like i think i want to try this gravel thing right and i just remember like trying to find a big gravel race that was still open for registration because many of the gravel races like unless you know about it like the year before like you can't even get in and for me like i just didn't understand any of it like i was barely learning what a power meter was at that point and so I was like, okay, well, Gravel Worlds is still open, and I knew there was a few people from Grand Rapids that had talked about it, and so I, I signed up for Gravel Worlds because, honestly, it was, like, one of the last ones that was still open that had, like, a sizable field. And for me, I was like, I just want to see if I, if I A, I have fun with this, and B, like, do I die in <laughs> riding at a pack? <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> and like, am I as strong as I, like, think I am on paper type thing? And so I went there and then I realized like you guys start in the dark, you know, and like for me, not really ever riding in a pack. Like I remember thinking, what did I get myself into? This is a horrible idea, Paige. <laughs> just stick with esports, like just ride on Swift. And um, I was like, okay, like the only goal is just to not die, right? And so I just like remember it <laughs> stringing on like the back of the pack. Like I had no idea how to draft. Like I had no idea what I was doing at all. And I think I had like probably my highest 20 minute power, highest, I think 60 minute power at that point in the first hour of the race, just trying to like string onto the pack. And, and anyways, um, throughout the day, like it was just a grind. Right. And like I said, I didn't know how to draft. I didn't understand like pack dynamics, um, or any tactics. Um, but I had so much fun. And I remember like, I think that year you guys had those like spigots through the feed zone. Um, yep. and it was just like, like everyone was so happy and it was just like my first experience with like a feed zone type thing too. Um, and it was just, I don't know, it was great. Um, and the event itself like felt so welcoming. And for me, like I was there, um, I was racing for 2024 at the time, but I didn't have any like teammates or support there. And so like, I was there kind of alone and I, I like knew no one, like I didn't know anybody and I was like kind of lonely and isolating. But I also didn't know if they're doing like a three person podium or five person podium. So I remember I stayed around and I was like, I just want to like soak in this environment and see what this gravel hype is about. And I sat there on the sidewalk like I, I mean, my legs were dead, um, but like I was just looking around and I just saw like hundreds and hundreds of people like having beers, smiling, talking, giving high fives. Like everyone just like seemed like they knew each other. And for me, I was like, I don't know anyone, but everyone here just looks like they're having a blast. I was like, I think I like gravel. <laughs> so it was just like <laughs> part of that post-race um, shenanigans and hanging out like with the awards and just that experience and observing kind of like it really intrigued me. Um, and so for me, like I wasn't happy with fifth. I was like fifth place is not good, you know, because I always like <laughs> I'm just I'm uber competitive, like very, very competitive. Um, but like, if you look at it, like that was my first mass start bike race, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, like that was hella strong. So 
I remember thinking like after yeah. processing, I was like, okay, like A, I had fun, which is the most important thing. B, like, I think I can have a lot to improve on here. Um, and C, like, it just seemed like a really cool vibe and environment. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to race gravel more. Um, yeah. And that was, then I went to- Was that your longest ride too? Like your um, longest ride you'd ever done? No, I actually Everested on a whim. Like it was like, I call it the couch on Everest. <laughs> oh my God. So it was like, oh, so bad. It was like 16 hours. I had like a steel bike, like three by like, um, <laughs> I was running no. like I was running like 50 miles a week. I was still a runner at that time, um, and I was supposed to like be SAG support for other people. And I was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. And so that was my longest day on a bike, um, leading into Ouch. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it means a lot to hear. I I love hearing those perspectives from different people about gravel worlds. Like you have no idea how much those words like mean to to me as like being a part of the event and you know i i i my story is very very similar of like i didn't really like riding i had it how i went to road races it was horrible and then like literally my first gravel race was like this is this is home for me and like yeah our like my life's completely different because of it so and, and it means mm-hmm. a lot that gravel worlds was your story of that falling in love with gravel so it's really really special to me to hear you say that so and then you came back the next year and you got second I did. boom second. yeah second yeah. Yep. <laughs> so then this year you got to improve again so i'm gonna hand you a sword this year it's only gonna go up from here so let's just say it'll, <laughs> it'll be different than last year that's all i can say i can tell <laughs> you I'll, I'll i'll cry if i give you a sword this year for sure. <laughs> okay <laughs> what is your next year looking like what do you have on the docket what are you looking forward to i know you're on the lifetime grand prix which you actually placed 10th this past year right that was ninth yeah Ninth. Awesome. So, you know, you're going back again. Yeah. Are you excited? No, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Like, it's nice to, like, have some familiarity with all these courses, which will be good. Um, but this year is looking quite a bit different in the first half of the season. Um, if you look at my schedule the first half of the season, you'd be like, is she a gravel racer? Like, or is she a roadie? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but I'm actually racing quite a bit of road. Um, so, and it's like a very race heavy first half of my of my year um just to get some training experience uh so for example like uh i have redlands i'll do the first three days of redlands and then i'll drive directly from the stage three race to bwr california i'll do bwr and then i'll drive directly to sea otter i'll do sea otter road and mountain bike and then i'll drive directly to gila and i'll do the five day uh, Gila stage race for road and then I'll drive directly to the grind and I'll do the grind gravel stage race that next week So it's like pretty is that in pretty Kansas? hefty coming up. Yeah, it's an Emporia the grinds um, Yep. Yep. That's right. It's yeah. like a smaller Emporia event yes. Yeah, so then I'll take the month of May and I'll stay in Emporia and do some tire testing and just you know prep for unbound um, and then yeah unbound uh, will be beginning of June and then I'll go to um, pro road nationals for road. Um, and then from there it'll be a little bit more focused on the lifetime events following that. Um, and then obviously gravel worlds um, and the USAC gravel uh, worlds wannabe uh, um, <laughs> will be on the schedule too. So yeah, really just a, a mix of things like more gravel focused second half of the season. And then first half is just, racing more road for tactics and and honestly like i just want to see if i like it i'm very much like you need to try something before you like you diss it right and 
I had a bad experience like with the time trial, but I've never really raced road like ever. Like most people that are racing elite or pro in gravel, like they have a road background and I'm like the opposite. I'm like, well, I just started in gravel, like, but I kind of want to try road. <laughs> um, because as gravel is growing and becoming more like women specific start and like more rules and regulations, like I do think the sport is going to be going to become more tactical. And so I want to make sure I close that tactical gap for myself. Um, as and and that is only learned through experience so that's why some of those races are on the calendar uh specifically to help benefit my gravel racing um and i'm excited about it because i don't know riding a bike hard is fun for me (laughs) and uh it's gonna be tough you know like these are a lot a lot of these races i'm going to like they aren't priority races so when you're showing up like on fatigued legs um or like with a goal that maybe not be clear like the results might not show like what's actually happening and I'm okay with that now, but it does take a little bit of mental energy to know what you're trying to accomplish long-term. Um, so that's been kind of fun for me to work on internally and, and make sure that I have that clear before the season starts. Well, I personally, it's so fun to watch you race and follow along because you are, as you said earlier, you are uber competitive. So to see you (laughs) in that, (laughs) see you in those races, it's so fun. So it's going to be a great year. I'm sure. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Paige, for being on the podcast. Um, again, thank you so much for being a good person on and off the bike. It's always great to watch you compete the right way and also just defending the, the experience of everybody else. So I really appreciate you. Um, it's awesome to call you friend, and I can't wait to see you at races this year. Uh, but before we go, Sophia always has one last question. Yes. <laughs> so what does the Gravel family mean to you, Paige? I should have been prepared for this because I do listen to your podcast and I was like, I don't remember that. I got to think of my answer here. Um, (laughs) And I didn't clearly because now I'm like, oh, shoot, how can I stall? Um, No, (laughs) the Gravel family for me, like I have, I'm on the road and like there's so many life changes for me personally going on. And especially last year, like I had a lot of personal stuff for me that was like, a very big challenge that many people maybe didn't know about. Um, and so for me, the gravel family, like it is your family. It's, it's not just like friends, a bike community. Like these are people that bring joy and value to you. And these are relationships with individuals that you'll have for a very, very long time, if not for life. And there's a bond that's created through biking with these people that is just hard to explain. So for me, like gravel family, like it just simply is my family. Um, and I have an amazing family as well. Uh, but the point is like, I don't feel alone in this journey, even as a privateer. Um, and that like just brings so much happiness to me. If I can have a really, really shitty race result, which is like a bad day at work. Like I did not perform to where I needed to perform on my work day. But then after work, like I get to hang out and have beers with you guys after Mid-South and just hang out with everyone and just talk about something other than the race result. Um, it just brings purpose and value for me. And that goes a long way, um, to keep me in the sport a long time. So that is gravel family brings longevity to pro riders if they, if they put their value in that. And I think that's really important. I think got goosebumps on that one. That was a good one. (laughs) Great job. A great, great, great answer. There's not been a bad one yet, but that was a really good one. Top tier. So 
You're you're near the front of the pack on on oh, answers. Oh sweet. So okay, you know I'm competitive, competitive <laughs> so that's what I like to hear. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paige. We will see you for sure sooner than later, and I can't wait till our paths cross again. So sounds good. I'm Sophia. I'm Jason. I'm Paige. And this has been another episode of the Gravel Family Podcast. We'll see you next time. Gravel Family Podcast is a Pirate Cycling League production. Gravel Worlds and Pirate Cycling League are owned and operated by Gravel Adventures LLC, Lincoln, Nebraska. For more information on Gravel Family Podcast, visit www.gravelfamily.bike. For information on Gravel Worlds or Pirate Cycling League, go to www.gravel-worlds.com. 